Well, good morning. It's great to have you here this Christmas Eve. And I know it's like 10.30 in the morning and you're wondering if it's legit to call it Christmas Eve, but for you, we turned off the lights. So it feels like Eve. Happy Christmas Eve. I know some of you are wishing for snow and it's 50 degrees, so we turned on the air conditioning for you. Happy Christmas Eve. We hope you enjoy your time here this morning. We like to do a lot of things together, including singing. So if you go ahead and stand up, we're going to sing together. Savior, Savior to the lost and broken. 
have a seat. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. On a night long ago in the town of Bethlehem, there were shepherds tending to their fields and watching their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. Don't be afraid, the angel said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Then a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and all authority will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Oh, come, let us adore him. What a dramatic and beautiful celebration it must have been that night when Jesus was born. And we gather year after year after year uh, to once again commemorate that awesome and beautiful night. So thankful today if you accepted the invitation of a friend or family member to come on along and be a part of our church today. Some of you are actually watching out there too live and some people are sitting on a beach in Florida or Alabama, which seems dreadfully unfair, but we'll <laughs> let you listen anyway. It's great to have you, have you with us. This is Brian and I'm Dennis. And every Sunday morning, one of the things we normally do is spend some time uh, talking about what's going on in the life of our church. And we uh, send out a couple of days before Sunday morning something that we call Weekend Update, short, sweet, to the point, gives you three or four things that are going on around the church that, that you need to be aware of. We're not going to go through all of them today. There's one main one that we want to reinforce for the next couple of weeks. For several uh, months now, we joined in together reading the Bible during the week. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this, that if you, if you only read the Bible on Sunday, it's like, or when, when you come to church, it's like eating a meal once a week and then expecting to be healthy until the next week. And we know full well, I mean, most of us forget eating once a week. If we don't eat like every third hour, we think we'd faint and die. We need to keep eating. Well, the same is true for us spiritually. We need to keep eating what the Word of God has to say, taking it in on our own. Now, for some of you are like, hey, when I read it on my own, I don't understand it. I got news for you. Sometimes I don't understand it either. But you read, you learn, you grow. So I think we started in an area that is probably pretty uh, easy. Mm -hmm. We started reading Proverbs. 
31 chapters of Proverbs, 31 days in the longest month of the year, and so we would read the chapter that correlated with the day. You've had that experience. What has it been like to read through the book of Proverbs now three times? Yeah, Proverbs is a book that I had read through before, obviously, but doing it consistently every day for, for, three, uh, for three months has been something that has kind of just been a total change to the, the normal rhythm of how I have of how I intake the Bible. So getting through it the first time, I'm like, yep, I remember this stuff. It's all good. The second time is when it really started to settle in and where I started to truly notice the themes that are repeated. I think that like that first time it was just like, all right, let's, let's try and soak this in. And I'm someone who has to go back and read a lot. You know, the, the first time it, it's there, but it's not in my brain. So especially the, the days that I would listen instead of, uh, instead of reading, if I'm listening on dwell, I, you know, I'm driving and, you know, I'm three exits down. I'm like, oh, wait, I got to go back because, uh, you know, I just zoned out. Uh, and it was the second time that things started to settle in. By the third time, I had to start slapping myself because there were times that I'm like, yeah, I know I've heard this. And that's where, like, I, I had to literally stop and be like, dude, God is literally talking to you about that thing right now that you are not rolling your eyes at, but you're saying, yeah, of course, or yeah, this is obvious, or yeah, you should know this. No, that's, that's God directly saying, hey, this, you, right now, this is what you should be, uh, should be taking in. So it, it was a cool, uh, a cool window, but I'm excited for what's next. Yeah, so we wanted to go to another area of the Bible that would have a similar impact, and we thought, what better way to, to leave Christmas and to head toward Easter than to read through the Gospels, all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you know how many chapters total there are in the four Gospels? I'm going to give the same answer I did in the first because that's cheating to, to learn it and then answer. So no, right, go ahead. All right, all right. You do know it's 89, 89 chapters total. And so what we're going to do is read the Gospels over the course of 90 days. Now you think, oh, does that give me one skip day? No. One of the chapters in Matthew is really long, and so we're dividing that one in two. So for 90 days in a row, from January 3rd, which you think, what an odd day to start. Why not the first? Well, because what we want to do is have this round out the day after Easter, so that we're reading John chapter 21, the story about Peter encountering the resurrected Christ the day after Easter. And, and John 20, the resurrection, will be on Easter. Mm -hmm. So we'll start on January 3rd, and we'll read a chapter a day on through to the day after Easter. Next week, we'll share with you the tools that you can use because you mentioned both reading and listening. I love listening to Scripture. And my habit from now has been really, it's really worked. I wake up, head downstairs, making coffee and all that, and I literally put on a pair of headphones so that I'm taking the Bible with me where I'm, wherever I'm going, and I'm listening. I'm, I'm doing the uh, one-year Bible, so I listen to that, listen to Proverbs, and it's just good to be able to take it in that way. So we'll share the tools that you can use to read, as well as the fact that we'll be then forming uh, journey groups around the reading as well. So all of those pieces will be coming together. Just wanted to get a, give you a heads up now. I know some of you are headed on vacation next week, so make sure to watch next week so that you know what's coming starting January 3rd. Mm -hmm. This has been the season of Advent. Today we're to the fourth candle, and so I'm going to go ahead and have you uh, do our Advent reading. This is uh, from the Dwell app, which again is a scripture listening app. And uh, this is not the one for Christmas Eve. It's one that happened a couple weeks ago. But it, it really goes with the theme of what we're developing this morning, and that is so much of the Christmas story is about waiting. 
learning to wait. And, and if you've lived any of life, what you start to realize is so much of life is about waiting. How do we learn to wait on God? So this particular one was called Keep Watch. And Keep Watch is the concept of waiting. You go ahead and read, and I'm going to light the candles while you do. Imagine you invite friends over for dinner. You told them to come over at 5 p.m. What do you do when your guest seems delayed? Do you eat without him? Do you anxiously call or repeatedly send messages asking for an update? Do you cancel the meal entirely? Rarely do we do the one thing that we're supposed to do. Wait patiently. The inability to patiently wait and trust the Lord's timing has plagued his people from the very beginning. What did the Israelites do when Moses was delayed at Mount Sinai? They took matters into their own hands and made an idol to worship as a god. What do we do when our expectations and God's timing seem out of sync? So often we quickly assume God to either be uninvolved or uninterested in the cares and concerns of life. And therefore, we believe that we must become masters of our own destiny. Extended seasons of waiting allow impatience, weariness, and even bitter resentment to take root in our hearts. It's a daily struggle to keep watch amid such great pain and sorrow, and we often fail. Advent is not a time to dwell on our failures, but to focus on the faithfulness of God. Hard as it may be, we wait patiently, looking for the day when God will finally set the world right. As he promises through the prophet Habakkuk, in the final day, seems slow. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Can I just ask you real quick, last week you commented, how long was the labor before Emmett was born? 38 hours. 38 hours. hours. So somewhere around 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, sitting there at Loyola, we kept going, come on, Emmett. Come on. We were waiting, anticipating the coming of this child. One of the beautiful songs of Christmas is, O come, O come, Emmanuel, which is so legitimate to sing on Christmas Eve. We're waiting. Would you just be born? Would you just come? Our, our hearts and souls have waited for you. We're ready for the coming of Jesus. Let's stand and sing. Oh, come now. 
That song beautiful. Oh, you can have a seat. That song beautifully highlights uh, the spiritual reality that people waited for Jesus to come, and we're waiting for Him to come again. We can't wait. We can't wait for Him to come again. Well, this, the whole event of Christmas, the holiday of Christmas, is centered around many controversies. And I'm not talking like big C, huge cosmic, uh, cosmic sort of uh, conflicts, you know, religions fighting against religions and all that sort of thing. No, I'm talking about the controversies that often happen just, just between people and we kind of laugh about them, but then we stop laughing because inside we're kind of a little bit serious about it. Things like, when is it okay to start playing Christmas music? Should you not wait until Black Friday? Should you not wait until the turkey is cleaned up? And, you know, some people are like, they want to play Christmas Eve at the memorial, or Christmas music at the Memorial Day party. They're ready to go. They love Christmas music. They're playing it all the time. And some people just, I mean, they get really kind of hot about it. It's for December only. Stop. Don't play it any other time. Or how about this one? When is it okay to have the decorations in the house and on the house? When can we do that? Now, now I totally understand putting up your decorations on a warm October day. That's totally cool. But when are you allowed to turn them on, have the tree ready to go? I kind of laughed this year. A lot of people posted on Facebook at Thanksgiving. There was their turkey and there was their tree. Is that legit? Are you allowed to do that? Is that okay? Or should you wait and not, not, have, your, not have your holidays mixing quite so much? It's kind of, you know, it causes a little tension among some people. In fact, some of you are already thinking, I came for peace on earth and goodwill toward man, and this guy's just bringing out all our family fights. Why are you doing this? Here's one that happened in our family. So 38 years ago, I married Kim, and, and we head to their house for Christmas. We had just been there for Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. They had a monster big old turkey. It was beautiful with stuffing that my father-in-law made, family tradition. It's awesome stuffing. And they had mashed potatoes and gravy, and they always had corn. And that family had the tendency to mix their corn and potatoes together. They liked it that way. And they had, I know, some of you are like, what? Ah, travesty. Anyway, they, they'd mix it up. They'd have this vegetable casserole, cinnamon jello, and then we had those, those little dinner rolls that you seem to only be able to get it at Thanksgiving and Christmas. Beautiful, beautiful meal. It was wonderful. So we show up at Christmas, and I sit down to the meal, and I'm like, I feel like I've been here before. Because there, there was a turkey, and there's the stuffing, and there's the mashed potatoes, and the corn, and the gravy, and there's that vegetable, vegetable uh, casserole, and there are those rolls, and the cinnamon jello. I mean, how, how am I supposed to know if I'm supposed to be thinking about pilgrims right now or angels? I'm so confused, because in our house, we had ham on Christmas, just like Mary, Joseph, and Jesus had on the very first Christmas. <laughs> That's the way it's supposed to be, Right? Let me give you one more in case you're not already a little tense. This one will throw you over the edge. When are you allowed to open the presents? When can, I'm not talking about you peekers, you people. There you got problems. But I'm talking about legitimate open the presents. When are you allowed? Now, if Shelly's in your family... She gives them to you the second she buys them because she can't hold it in. I've received Christmas presents in October from Shelly. But, but I'm talking about more normal people, people who you know, are having that conflict between, yeah, right, between Christmas Eve and Christmas. In my family growing up, we were a Christmas Eve family. And you got to understand, my parents had four kids in five years. 
There was a time that we were five, three, two, and one. And at 3.30 in the morning, they'd hear, Daddy, Mom, is it okay? Can we go open the presents now? And they finally, in their wisdom, said, we want to sleep in on Christmas Day. And so we opened them Christmas Eve, and they said, if you want to get up and play, you go nuts. But here I am now, and I have an adult child, and Brian's like, I want to open them on Christmas Day, just like Ralphie did. We're not doing this Christmas Eve stuff. All of these, all of these tensions that arise around our Christmas traditions, and when you think about it, outside of the turkey-ham controversy, most of them involve waiting. They involve just being willing to hold off just a little longer just like the story of Christmas. This year, a friend gave us a gift. And I love this gift. This was for, this was for Dennis, the grandpa, and his grandson, Emmett. And it's an Advent calendar. And this is, I think this is one of the best cal- Advent calendars in the history of Earth because it had little popcorn pocket, po- packets in it. And so when, when it was pristine and beautiful, first day together, I punched out the sides. I got the little door flap going there. And Emmett took his little one-year-old fingers. He, he, he forms them ever so delicately. And he came over and grabbed the little door and he opened it up and he saw the popcorn packet and he pulled it out and he put it in his mouth because that's what Emmett does with everything. Everything goes straight in his mouth. And wouldn't you know, at one years old, his little hand on day one started scratching at day two. I'm like, no, we've got to wait till tomorrow. We've got to wait, and, and we have opened these one at a time, with the exception of weekends, and we kind of waited and did a couple in a row, but one at a time. Even, even the, the, the celebration tools of Christmas involve some form of waiting. Waiting is the story of Christmas, and honestly, waiting is the story of life. Some of you have one, two, three, or ten things you can identify in your life that you have been waiting for for a long, long time. I mean, I'm not talking like two weeks. I'm talking two years, 20 years. You've been waiting a long, long time. God calls on you to wait. You're like, but I want it now. There were people in the story of Christmas who were told they needed to wait. You may remember after Jesus is born, by, by the law of Moses, they were supposed to wait eight days after a baby boy was born and then take him and have him circumcised, and they'd name him. And it was on the eighth day that he was named Jesus. And then, about 33 days later, they headed back to the temple again to offer a couple of offerings, a couple of sacrifices. One of them was a burnt offering, and the other was a purification offering. And I I can't sit here this morning and explain all of Jewish law to you, all the law of Moses. Honestly, there are pieces of it, especially to modern ears, that are incredibly confusing. Here's what I learned from this passage. Mary and Joseph followed the law flawlessly. If God said do it, they did it. In fact, one of the things we find out in that story about God is that You were supposed to bring a lamb for the burnt offering and some birds for the purification offering. But he said, if you are too poor, you don't have to bring the lamb. Just bring those birds as your offering. 
And what we find is that's exactly what Mary and Joseph brought. Or in other words, the Son of God was born into a dreadfully poor family. I think it's a beautiful piece of what God has done for us. So there they are at the temple, and there's a man there, and his name is Simeon. The Bible tells us that he was righteous and devout, and he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. We're told the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. It was going to be in his lifetime that the Messiah would be born. Now, the people of Israel had waited the entire time of their nationhood for the coming of the Messiah. Israel has been in constant conflict for the entirety of its existence. You, you, think, you think Hamas and Hezbollah are bad? You, you think Nazi Germany is bad? You can go all the way back to the Roman Empire, to the Babylonian Empire, and even to the Egyptian Empire. The people of Israel have been constantly hassled and harassed. And God promised them a Messiah is going to come for you. They heard that a rescuer was coming, and they could only think in political terms. They could only think in physical terms. Someone is going to finally come and throw off the oppression, and we will be a free nation. But God had something else in mind. In Genesis 3, he had already hinted at it, that there would come a day that a redeemer, a Messiah would come and crush the head of the serpent. That's who we were waiting for. But a lot of people were confused. They were just looking for, for someone who would physically deliver them. Simeon's waiting. And Simeon knows there's something more going on here than just someone that's going to deliver them from Roman oppression. He's been promised he'll see the Messiah, and it says, on that day, the Spirit of God led him to the temple. He was so sensitive to the Spirit that he heard the tap. You need to go to the temple today. Something special is happening today. And this is an old man. He's waiting. There's Mary. There's Joseph. And they've come to present Jesus as the law required. It says Simeon was there. And he sees this baby and he has the indication from God, there's the Messiah. Go look him in the eyes. And this beautiful verse says Simeon took the child in his arms. Can you imagine these, these old, frail arms, these shaking hands, holding God in his arms, holding the deliverer in his arms? It says he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now your servant can die in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. I've seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is the light to reveal, to reveal you to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. The Bible tells us that, that Mary and Joseph are kind of blown away at what's going on here. They know who Jesus is, and now they're saying other people see it too. Other people recognize it too. And in that moment, Simeon gives a prophecy. He says, this child, as he grows up, he's going to cause conflict. There are going to be people that hate him. They're, they're going to be, he's going to bump up against people. The message, people are not going to receive it well. And he ends the whole passage by saying, and a sword will pierce your very soul. They're just a month into the life of Jesus. A man is telling Mary, there will come a day you will stand at the foot of a cross and you will watch your son tortured and you will watch your son die. Well, He's saying all of this, and there's another person there. 
She's just kind of always hanging out at the temple, and her name was Anna. She's a prophet. Bible says she is very old. And when someone in the Bible is very old, you're like, very old. There's very old in Bible times, and there's very old now. You know, we can live into our 80s, 90s, and even hundreds. Back then, if, if you were in your 80s, you were one of the few people on earth that had made it to that age. Bible tells us she's 84 years old. She had been married in her life only seven years. And after her husband died, she remained a widow. And she devoted her life to God. In fact, her devotion looked like this. She never left the temple. She stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. What's that fasting all about? You know what fasting is? Fasting is teaching our souls to wait. It's, it's a tool that teaches our souls wait. It, it's a tool that teaches us to say, not yet, not yet, not yet, wait, wait, wait for it, wait. Well, she's there, and she sees this baby in Simeon's arms, and she hears what Simeon says. She says she comes along just as Simeon is talking to Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. These two folks waited all their lives to see the Messiah, and they had the privilege of doing so. There's something you're waiting for in your life. And honestly, there are times it makes you a little crazy. There are times that it causes you to question God. It causes you to raise all kinds of questions. And yet, these two people teach us beautifully what waiting is all about. You see, for a lot of us, when we think about waiting, the question is, what are you waiting for? I could sit with you today and you could identify that thing that you hope will happen in your life that, 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 that dynamic that you're just, you're waiting for this thing. What are you waiting for? But what the story of Christmas teaches us, the story of Simeon and Anna teaches us, is that it's not so much a question of what, but a question of who. Who are you waiting for? Or who are you waiting on? That thing you're waiting for, that desire it's supposed to be drawing you toward the true desire of your heart. It's supposed to be drawing your eyes to God. In reality, it's not about what you're waiting for. It's about who you're waiting on. And as you're going through that, that, that torturous season of waiting, you're not simply focusing on this is what I want, but God, what do you want? What's your involvement in all of this? We pray the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what we're praying? God, your way, not mine. Your timing, not mine, but I want it now. No, your timing, not mine. It's not what I'm waiting on. It's teaching us who I'm waiting on. And it's also teaching us who I'm becoming as I wait. The fact is, some of us, when we wait, we get pretty ugly. We do. We get bitter, resentful. We start doubting God. We get angry with people and situation. Our hope shuts down. Both Simeon and Anna maintained their joy and their expectation and their hopefulness throughout their lives to the point that they looked the baby Messiah in the eyes. 
So God is using this waiting tool not to torture you. He's not dangling something over you saying, you want it, you want it, you want a dollar. He's not doing that to you. He's saying, do you have your eyes on me? Do you see what this is teaching you about your relationship with me? And do you see what it's teaching you about you? It's a lesson God is trying to teach all of us how to wait, not for the thing we want, but how to wait on God and how to become the person God wants us to be as we wait. So let me, let me just shift the question just a little bit. Talk about, are you waiting on God? My other question this Christmas Eve is, would be, is God waiting on you? It's Christmas Eve and you accepted the invitation to come today, and it may be that the last time you were in church was, oh yeah, last Christmas Eve. And you show up on Christmas Eve and you hear a message about Jesus and you kind of go, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. You need that religion stuff, that's good for you. I'm good with, I'm good with my life. God's waiting on you. He's waiting for you to finally have something happen in your life that you wake up and realize that there's more to life than this life. That he is very real. That eternity is very real. And then this time that we're spending here and now is about learning about him, growing in him, connecting with him. It's not just about coming to a pretty service once a year. It's, it's about connecting to God every day. I want to go back to that prayer of Simeon. This has become one of my favorite prayers. I love praying it at night. Lord, now let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. My own eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of every people, a light to reveal you to the nations and the glory of your people, Israel. It's been, I think, six or seven years now that I developed a, a practice, a habit. As a pastor, I tend to be present when people are dying. Get a call, person's not doing well, come now. And there are three times I remember very distinctly, and there have been more, that I've stood with a person that is either conscious or unconscious and prayed over them, Lord, now let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled for them. I did it for Roger Swank, 2017. Prayed the same prayer over my mother-in-law when she died. And I got to pray that prayer just last Thursday. A guy who comes to our church, his name is Ron Richter. Ron came alone. No family came with him. No friends came with him. He came alone. He connected with some people. And I would promise you, most of you had no idea who Ron was. He'd come on up. In fact, the last time he was here, he was here about four weeks ago, walked up with the Highlights magazine. Do you remember Highlights magazine? Walked up with that because he liked to give it to Jesse Majerus to share with her kids. And, and he walked on up, and I said, hi, Ron, and talked to him a little bit, and he headed on in. Ron was on dialysis. And he was finding the point, even though he's only 63 years old, that dementia was setting in because of the dialysis, and the dialysis wasn't having the impact that it was before. And so it's less than two weeks ago that his brother called me and said, Ron's in hospice. And I'm, I immediately go, what do you mean in hospice? I just saw him at the door 
a couple weeks ago. And we went from having a conversation with him at hospice where he was able to hold the conversation, but there were a lot of moments that were not lucid, to the point last Thursday that he was unconscious, breathing heavy. And I put my hand on his shoulder and I prayed. I'm not kidding. Less than two hours later, I got a call that he was with the Lord. You know what's ironic? Today's Ron's birthday. Ron is having the best birthday and the best Christmas Eve of his life. I mean, is it possible today he's sitting in church and the Apostle Paul is preaching? He doesn't have to suffer through Dennis. He's getting it straight from the writer of Romans. This is crazy. When I went to talk to Ron, I wanted to ask him. I wanted to hear it for myself. I'm a shepherd for people. I wanted to hear it for myself. Ron, what are you depending on to go to heaven? And he was already not lucid enough to really have that conversation. Why do I raise that? Four weeks ago, that man was sitting right down here. And today he's in heaven with Jesus. And you keep assuming that you have next week and next month and next year and five years from now and 20 years from now and you just don't know that you have a next breath. And you keep putting off this eternal question. You keep putting off what you're going to do with God. If, this, if there was a Christmas tree up here, had gifts under it, and one of them was labeled Jesus, you just keep leaving that gift unwrapped. Because you think you have time. Or you think you know better. And I'm telling you today that heaven is absolutely real. And so is eternal punishment and eternal separation from God. And you have to make a decision about that here you have to make a decision about Jesus here. He came to be the Messiah for you. He came to rescue you from your sin. You're like, I'm not that bad. You're not that bad. And you're also not that good. That's the deal, right? I mean, none of us, I hope, nobody's an axe murderer here. If you are, please raise your hand. Yeah, no, no axe murderers here. There are no perfect people here, and you think, thinking, maybe I am. Oh, sin of pride, you're off the list. All of us have sinned. All of us have done wrong things, and it separates us from God. And the only way to overcome that separation is this baby in a manger who grows to be a man who dies on the cross, is buried, and rises again. He pays for your sin so you don't have to, and he gives you this gift. You see, you keep thinking, what can I do to earn God's love? i got to go to church more. i got to be nicer. i got to do all these things. And God says, I love the world so much that I gave you my son, so anyone who believes in him, anyone who takes the gift and opens it, anyone who receives him will not die but have eternal life. Open the gift. Would you just open the gift? Would you stop waiting? Life is about waiting. This part's not about waiting. This is about do it now. Because you don't know if you have another moment. You truly don't. And so you pray, God, I realize this spiritual reality. I have sinned. And that sin has separated me from you. And I want to overcome that separation. And the only way that can be done is through Jesus. I believe in Jesus as the payment for my sin. I trust him. Come into my heart, come into my life. Let's bow our heads. Father, that prayer 
that moment is so simple, we, we, we complicate it so much. We think we've got to pay for the gift. We've got to do all these things. All we have to do to as many who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Would you give us the wisdom on this Christmas Eve to reach out our hands, take the gift of Jesus, and open? Receive Christ as the forgiver of sin and the leader of my life. God, I don't know any other way to say it. My heart is so intense about this today. If there was someone just waiting and not being serious about this, would, would you shake them? Wake them up. It's real. It's so real. And we keep acting like it's not. Let that reality sink in in this life instead of the life to come because if it sinks in the life to come, it's too late. In Jesus' name, amen. So we love singing Christmas songs after Thanksgiving. And, uh, <laughs> and one of them that we sing is actually not technically a Christmas song involving angels and stars and all that sort of thing, but it's a song that talks about the seasons of life and how those seasons teach us a lesson. I, I love, I think it's the second line of this song, oh, how nature acquaints us with the nature of patience, the nature of waiting. So let's stand together and we're going to sing. Like the frost on a rose Winter comes for us all Oh, how nature appears With the nature of patience Like a seed in the snow I've been buried to grow for your promises, from sea to sequoia, and I know, though the winter is long, even richer, the harvest it brings, though my waiting prolongs even greater. You promise for me like the sun And I believe that my season will come Lord, I think of your love Like the low winter sun and as I gaze I am in the light of your brightness Like a fire to the snow I'm renewed in your Melt the ice of this world soul Till the barren is beautiful And I 
is longing and richer, the harvest it brings. Though my waiting prolongs even greater, your promise for me like a sea. I believe that my season will come. I can see the promise, I can see the future, you're the God of seasons, I'm just in the winter, if all I know of harvest is that it's worth my patience, and if you're not done working, God, I'm not done you can see my promise, even in the winter, cause you're the God of greatness, even in the Jesus, it's that you take your time You could have saved us in a second Instead you saved
I think you'd agree we live in a, a noise-addicted generation. Everywhere we go, there's noise. We get in the car, we don't drive in silence. We turn on the radio, we crank it up. We get home, we got to have the TV going. For some of us, we even have noise all night long, whether it's that nice white noise or, or an outright rock and roll keeping us asleep. Whatever it is, we have noise going all the time, and the noise creates distraction. It pulls us away from thinking. And so I'm asking you, as you leave church today, to give yourself a gift. Sometime before the tree comes down on March 1st, <laughs> would you sit in the room by yourself with the lights on in silence and ask the question, where am I with God? Ask it. Think about it. Don't, don't wait until the tree comes out again next year, until we're back here for another Christmas, which, by the way, you might not be here. I might not be here. Sit there in the silent and ask, where am I with God? Have I yet opened that gift called Jesus? You've got to do it. This is real. It's real. 
not just pretty lights in some religious game. It's real. And if you don't believe it now, you'll believe it a second after you die. You will. God, you loved us so much that you sent your son to die so that we didn't have to ourselves, so that anyone who believes in you will not have to be separated from you for eternity, but will have eternal life and live with you forever. Help us to have the wisdom and the humility to receive the gift. In Jesus' name, amen. You enjoy your Christmas.